the Fly Fishing and Tying Journal, Giant Rainbows and Klamath Falls, and much more today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. There are a couple ways to go deeper with the podcast. Uh, the first big one is if you go to wetflyswing.com slash destination to get info on the upcoming Alaska trip and a bunch of the other hosted trips I have going on in the next year or so. Secondly, if you want to support the podcast on a quicker level, you can go to wetflyswing.com slash members and join the member society, which is a good way to quickly... Uh, provide some extra uh, extra support there and please share this episode that's probably maybe the easiest one with one other person you think might enjoy this show in today's episode i talk with uh, craig schumann the editor of the fly fishing and tying journal we hear about craig's excessive habits with fly tying books the edible merger the missing link and the seal bugger again we've talked to talked about a couple of those already but they're they're such big hitters it's good to jump back into it Find out the details of uh, how to find a 30-inch rainbow in Stillwater. And uh, don't miss this one as we're about to hear upcoming changes with the uh, Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. There's definitely some new things uh, coming out here and we're going to dig into that. So uh, without further ado, how's it going, Craig? Great to be here. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, yeah, good to, uh, good to have you on. It's been a little a little bit since we've uh, talked, I guess, uh, was it Albany? I think we ran into Albany. Each other, right? Yeah, had a good yeah yeah had a good conversation yeah. there about you know kind of everything going on and yeah it's pretty yeah. cool. I didn't realize actually that you were down on one of my favorite places to fish on the the Williams, <clears throat> the Williamson in that area. That's right. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, we're gonna jump into some of that today, and but you know also obviously on the magazine uh, Fly Fishing and Tying Journal, we're gonna get into that. But maybe you can just start yeah. us off and tell us uh, how you first got into fly fishing, and then how that all came into being an editor of the magazine. Yeah, well, that's a long story, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to keep it short. Uh, I've been fly fishing most of my life. I started as a you know really young kid with my dad uh, in the Sierras, actually, on the Owens River. Uh, casting little Adams dry flies to small brown trout. I was probably nine, and we were living in L.A. at the time. And um, my dad had a deep love for fly fishing. Once he uh, got into it and got hooked, he really just threw himself into it. So around 1980, uh, my dad relocated to Portland, Oregon, and uh, he started steelhead fishing. In fact, that's why he moved to, <laughs> to Portland was to steelhead fish. And he was steelhead fishing with an old guide up there named George Mackey. I don't, do you know George Mackey or Steelhead George? Uh, yeah, I've heard of that name. Yeah, I've heard of that name. <laughs> yeah. So this was the guy Dad uh, um, fished with, uh, mostly on the Washington rivers, the Columbia tributaries. Um, and so uh, a lot of winter steelhead fishing. Uh, a lot of fishing on the Deschutes. Uh, Dad had a sled. So I just kind of grew up around it. Um, it was somewhat of a generalist. You know, every once in a while, we pull on plugs or mm-hmm. side drift and row or something like that. But Because um, he didn't like to winter steelhead fish with a fly. He he uh, he liked to do that during the summer. Mm-hmm. So 
he was also a big fan of Spring Creeks. And so we found ourselves driving over to Idaho and Wyoming and, and occasionally fishing some of these Spring Creeks like uh, Silver Creek. And, you know, I was still pretty young and I had other things I really would rather have been doing. Um, and I was a skier. So, I, you know, but he just continually dragged me along. And uh, <laughs> I don't know, I was probably 22 and I um, moved to Jackson Hole and I moved there to ski. And we had this really crappy winter. And uh, so I started working in an Orvis store there. And this is when really the accumulated knowledge of my fly fishing really, I didn't realize how much I knew. And uh, that's really where I started to dive into it is, is when I was working for Orvis and hanging around other fly. I had really not hung around other fly fishermen at that time. All right. Yeah, I mean, kids my age and 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 girls. We had a girl that was working there. Oh, what, what year was, was that when you went to the Orvis shop? So this would have been. I'm thinking here. Wow. <laughs> um, before 2000, so this would have been like 98. Okay. I want to say 97, 98. No, actually, before that, because this is before I got married. So this would have been. 94, 95. Okay. Um, and uh, so I started, uh, as I got more, you know, engaged, started driving up to the Madison and I was driving up to the park in Yellowstone and, and gradually I just kind of, you know, I moved back to Portland. I, I couldn't afford to ski anymore. I had to kind of get a real job <laughs> and, uh, so in a sense, it kind of became a default sport for me. Um, it just hit me just right. And um, I don't know, it was probably maybe, well, it was 2004. Um, I, I had, um, Dad and I were still fishing a lot. We were taking trips. And I started asking the guides that we were going with, what's it like to be a guide? My interest really started to get piqued. And um, there was this guy in Montana named Holden, really nice guy, right about my age and just an amazing angler. And uh, he answered a lot of my questions. And I knew, right, sitting in that bar with my dad and Holden, I knew that I was, I was headed in that direction. <laughs> so um, from Portland, I decided that I was going to move to Klamath Falls and fish and guide on the Williamson River. Why, Didn't why, know it. why Klamath Falls? <laughs> well, we had been, my dad and I had been fishing down here for about four or five years. And, uh, and we just couldn't get enough. I mean, we were coming down here and, and living in the campground for like two weeks and just doing nice. nothing but fishing on the wood and the Williamson. And, uh, and we just, I absolutely just fell in love with it. I mean, it just felt like my river. And and the way you catch the fish down here, it's, it's so mimicked the steelhead fishing we were doing up on the Deschutes, you know. Yeah. With a nice swinging with the with the intermediate line and that great grab that you get on the swing, and it just it it felt like my style of fishing. And so, um, you know, and I had been to a lot of other places to fish, but nothing struck me quite like this, nor the fish. And the size of the fish. I mean, that's a factor. Yeah. It's when you're catching big trout, uh, that's certainly <laughs> a hook. So, um, 
anyways, I uh, so I came down here. I didn't know soul. I mean, nobody. I had one friend down here. No one in the guiding community. No one in the fishing community. I started, um, you know, trying to meet the guides here in town. Set up a couple lunches. Didn't know. I mean, I uh, I drive through the campgrounds and look for people to take fishing. I'm like, hey, you want to go fishing? I mean, I just <laughs> needed people in the boat yeah. Yeah. on the river to. And I just kind of knew what I needed to do, so that's what I was doing. And then. Uh, an outfitter who saw me on the river quite a bit kind of recruited me for a couple of years and I uh, started throwing me a ton of clients. That was very helpful. Um, opened up a little tiny fly shop here at a specialty sporting goods store, helped him get started. Uh, it was called the ledge and, uh, and it, it just, it was called the, well, it's called the ledge. Oh, the it's ledge. a, yeah. yeah, it's actually, he's actually a rock climber. He's got a rock climbing gym and, he wanted to kind of diversify a little bit and put in a little fly shop because he knew that there was a lot of great fly fishing around here. So in 2005, we opened that up, and I don't have anything more to do with that shop. Yeah. But it's still there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's been, I don't know, 13, I think I'm in my 14th year yeah. down here now. So, um, yeah, time, patience, passion, persistence. Yep. Um, certainly all true, and it and it pays off. Yeah. <laughs> For and fourteen years. Yeah. yeah, you're pretty much. I mean, that's a, a really good. Long, that's a good chunk of time. I mean, when you look back at that, there's. Yeah. You know what? What do you think of? I mean, do you? Obviously, it sounds like you were all in at that one point. You know, when you look back, yeah. you knew you're in, and you yeah. know, and it's still not easy. You, you just go down there. What What do you think was the hardest part of of making this a you know, a, a business and doing it for 14 years now. Well, there's a, there, there's a lodge down here called the Lonesome Duck and the head guide for Lonesome Duck is Marlon Rampy. Oh yeah. Okay. And so, um, I really wanted to work for the Lonesome Duck and I would see Marlon on the water and, and I could not get my foot in the door. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand why. I had a few conversations with Marlon, but really nothing was materializing. So after about five or six years of guiding, he approached me and, you know, hey, how would you like to run some trips for the Lonesome Duck? And I'm like, sure. I later came to find out from Marlon that he doesn't use anyone for the Lonesome Duck that he hasn't seen on the river for at least five or six years. Oh, there you go. So I was putting in my time, you know, he yep. was, I was definitely being watched. I mean, <laughs> we had a lot of, well, not a lot, but, you know, a handful of guides that had been guiding on the river for, you know, 25 years. I mean, old, old guys. One of them guided Jimmy Carter down here. Mm-hmm. Um, and these guys were, they were seasoned. They, they had customs for fishing the river. Uh, well, you did not use indicators when I first started down yeah. here. You you would have been pulled over to the side and talked to had right. you used an indicator. Yeah. And so very specific. And there was even certain like little types of water that you couldn't fish because they were known to be spawning areas oh, or yeah. something. And and you couldn't break custom without, you know, geez, who knows? Beyond conversation, they may have started spiking your tires for all right. I know. So, um I guess the hardest part really was 
it wasn't I didn't it wasn't even so much the clients that I had on the mine are making money. That wasn't the thing. The thing was getting into that guide community, getting to work yeah. for a, a lodge like the Lonesome Duck, and then just the the brute work it took to actually become proficient on the river mm-hmm. because it can be a very difficult river. That was my focus. I just wanted to become the kind of angler that I saw in the other guides that I knew and the guides that my dad and I had took. And um, I wanted to know the river as intimately and on a daily basis as those people did. And so I think to answer your question, Dave, um, that that was probably the biggest challenge. The business stuff just kind of followed it. It followed in the wake of all that, yeah, you know. Gotcha. Um, so uh, that wasn't the real concern. And I had another job, so I I wasn't. Yeah. I tried to make it a few years without with only that and some writing, but um, and that's actually when I started writing. Okay. But um, I couldn't do it full time. It was just I couldn't sustain myself. We have a fairly short season down here. It's only five months. Right. So, and I wasn't going to head to the coast to steelhead fish because mm-hmm. I had a family, and that was too tough. So, yeah, you're not going to head up to yeah, uh, like some guides do. I talked to, uh, yeah. uh, you know, people. Yeah, they they do. We go six months up to Alaska or whatever, whatever they have to do to guide, and you know, and then come back to their hometown. Yeah, that's that's not easy to do. It sounds great. If I were single, yeah, uh, not married with a kid, I would have. Uh, that would have been my lifestyle, yeah. no doubt about it. But yeah, yeah. that's right. Okay, so <laughs> and then how did the uh, you know the the magazine, the fly fishing and tying journal, how did that come to be? Well, that was interesting. I um, so I had written up to that point, I had written one book that was in came out in two thousand six, and uh, I walked into uh, Frank Amato's what was one that? day. What was that book? So that was called Fishing Oregon. And it was uh, it was a moon outdoors uh, book. So Moon has like a series of books: Fishing California, Fishing oh, okay. Oregon, Fishing. Yeah, yep. it was actually Foghorn originally, and then it changed to Moon. Okay. And it was a comprehensive book to Oregon, and it it w- wasn't a fly fishing book. Um, it was a general fly a general fishing book. Mm-hmm. Uh, um. And it took me about a year and a half to write, and that book just about killed me. (laughs) And that was my first – that was like my first thing I'd ever done. And um, so I got through that, and then I started trying to sell myself around to various magazines. Um, Northwest Fly Fishing picked up a little thing of mine. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dave Klausmeyer with Fly Tire Magazine picked up a few things of mine. Actually, I learned a, a lot from Dave Klausmeyer because he was he was a, a hard ass editor, mm. and he'd just write you back and just tell you what he thought. <laughs> um, I, I really did. He just, I cut my teeth very quickly and, with Dave. And you like that? I mean, what would have been if he wasn't that? Type oh yeah, oh yeah. No, I appreciated his his honesty, and it gave me an understanding where editors are coming from. You know, because I really didn't know. But Dave, or yeah, Dave tells me he's like Craig. I got this giant cardboard box in my office, and I get tons of submissions. And ninety percent of those submissions end up in that cardboard box, huh. and that goes to the dump. Yeah. He said, "Here's how you get my attention. 
And so he kind of gave me some tips on how to approach editors and how to be a freelance writer and basically bend to the will of the editor. Don't, you know, don't think you're better than yeah. everybody else and that the editor should just accept your work because that's the best way to wind up in that cardboard box. Yeah. And so what, what I were those, said, you know, what were those, those, those tips or what was one of those them? tips? Yeah. That what, you know, uh, was there a big one that somebody might take that wants to write for say, say they want to write for your magazine? Yeah. Well, two things really word count for one thing. The first article I turned into him was 5,000 words. Oh, wow. He wanted 2,500. Yeah. He called me up as soon as he got that. And he said, give me one good reason why this article should not go in the box. <laughs> he said, I asked for 2,500 words. You gave me 5,000. I mean, I almost sounded offended. Yeah. Um, so he's like, I'm, he did me a favor. He says, I'm going to do you a favor this time. I'm going to cut this down for you. I'm going to publish it, but I will never do this again for you. Mm-hmm. He says, when I give you a word count, I expect you to stick to it. In another uh, early, a later piece, uh, he, I had wrote the article, turned it in. He called me. He said, Craig, this looks fine, but um, you missed something in the article. There's this bunch of this fly time material that just came out, and you didn't cover it in the article. Mm. I can't publish it until you do that. Yep. Um, so um, I kind of dragged my feet on that one. I didn't really want to go back and rewrite anything. And um, he never ended up publishing that article. Mm. I never got it published. Mm-hmm. So listen to the direction that editors give you because they're not giving you those directions uh, just because. They're giving it to you because that's what they need. Yeah. And you need to be fairly responsive into getting that to them. Otherwise, you're going to hurt their trust. And I'd say trust is the most important thing between a writer and editor. He needs to know that you can – that you're going to turn in what you say you're going to turn in that is going to fit the format that they're looking for. And you need to do that on time. Yeah. And, and, and something that, you know, he had a sliding scale that he paid writers on. So if you turned in something that required say two hours of his editing before it could be published, well, then he was going to cut your pay accordingly. Hmm. So you said oh, the, wow. the more polished piece you public give me, the more money you're going to make. There you go. And so that was, yeah, that was kind of incentive. Yeah. Um, I'd say some of the biggest learning curves for me were, um, was say combining the skills of photography and writing, uh, and interviewing. Mm. So learning how to interview someone, remembering to take pictures, uh, when you're writing that story. So let's say you're writing the story on the shoots and, you know, you take a camera, but pictures are an afterthought. Mm-hmm. That's a huge mistake because that's going to be a huge part of your article. Yeah. If you just focus on the writing or at least bring a photographer, you know, bring someone who can take pictures for you so you can just concentrate on the writing. Yep. So it's kind of it's a it's a bit of a multidisciplinary, you know, um, approach for some where they are the photographer, they're the writer. Um, they do at all. And would you say and, that that is for most, I mean, what would you say the people that write yeah. for the magazine, you probably have a very diverse, uh, you know, group, but, uh, if you look back at, you know, the last few years are a majority of them people that are writing on the side or is it a full-time thing or what would you say? Most of them are freelancers writing on the side. Um, oh, okay. 
Yep, so, they so have other so, jobs. So, oh, so they, yeah, they have other jobs, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, very few. I, in fact, I can only think of really one full-time writer, and that's Gary Lewis. Yeah, oh yeah, Gary. Yeah, which I had on. Uh, I had Gary on in a previous episode. I'll put that in the show notes. It was. <laughs> I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. He's a good guy. He is, and I I can remember the year. Um, that I would talk to him on the phone. And he says, yeah, Craig, he says, I've gone full time. I'm like, what do you mean you've gone full time? He says, I've, I've, I've gone full time as a writer. You know, he's, he had to take, he was, what he was telling me is what he took that leap of faith that he could do this full time, yeah. which is really tough. And he's got a TV show. I mean, he's I know. really made something of yeah, himself. Yeah. Uh, which, which is really impressive. I'm close to Gary. And oh, cool. I watch him and what he does. And um, in fact, yep. we just shot a TV show up on Diamond Lake. Oh, no kidding! About a few weeks ago, catching tiger trout. Where's that gonna? Is that gonna be uh, come out on YouTube or? It's gonna come out on yeah his his channel. channel. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, put a link sometime in April. April, yeah, I'll put a link. I'm sure that you know I'll, I'll yeah. get a link here next year on it. So okay, yeah, yeah. That that was that was fun. I had never caught tiger trout before. Um, and they're a fierce little fish. I um, really enjoyed fishing for them. Ti- tiger so. trout is a mix. What is it? It's a mix between uh, browns and ra- rainbows, or what is it? And brooks. And bro- it's, it's the three. No, no, just browns and oh, brooks. Oh yeah, just browns and brooks. That's right. So they're a char. Both those species, oh, right, and right, I don't right. think either of those species can intermix with rainbow because they're a separate species. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, browns and brooks. That's cool. So, uh, let's see. So that, uh, yeah, well, okay. A few tangents there. Anyways. <laughs> so Dave Klausmeyer at fly tire helped me out. Um, Steve Probusco up at Northwest fly fishing before John Shuey took it over. Um, and, and so I walked into Frank Amato's office one time and I asked for Frank. They said, there he is at the back of the office, go introduce yourself. So I just made a beeline for him. Handed him my book, said, Frank, I want to write for you. Hmm. And uh, he sat on that book for about six months. I didn't hear a word from him. And I thought, oh, well, you know, I've lost my shot. I thought, finally, he gives me a call. He says, Craig, I was really impressed with your book. You seem organized. No one could write a book like this that's not organized. And he started giving me assignments. Hmm. And um, so I, I really threw myself into FGJ, uh, not only because I liked Frank and the magazine, but it was just the most available option for me. And he was so receptive to my work. Mm-hmm. And I believe he may have been editing the magazine at the time. I think this oh, was wow. after Dave Hughes had left or something. Oh, Dave Hughes was there, right? Dave Hughes and Rob Crandall, and Crandall. is the one that with the editor of right before I was. Gotcha. Okay. That's what I was going to try to get into is a little bit of the history there of the, of the magazine. Yeah. I'm not sure how long Dave Cran or um, Rob Crandall edited. uh, Sorry, Rob. (laughs) I, I want to say it was about maybe three years or something. Um, Okay. Yeah. Frank did it. yeah. Yeah. How long did he do it for? Well, Frank, so Frank, I believe, was in between Dave Hughes and Rob Crandall. I want to say Frank probably did it for a couple years. Oh, wow. Wow. So he's got, obviously, all these men. Yeah, I want to, and I want to dig in a little bit to Frank's um, 
background a little bit too, just because I, you know, he's obviously got a lot of stuff and history there and stories, but, Oh, it's amazing. But, yeah. uh, you know, we're not going to be able to get to it all, but, um, yeah, Carando, I just did, did want to note, I interviewed Rob and a great steelhead episode. Yeah. He went into to a bunch of yeah. steelhead tips. That was good. And Ooh, Dave yeah. Hughes, Dave Hughes, hopefully, uh, I'm, I've been, uh, I want to get Dave on as well. So I just mm. haven't, haven't been mm-hmm. able to, to get him on yet. So, yeah, yeah. So, okay. So basically that's it. You go in and you start doing your stuff and then eventually you have this opportunity and probably just hop in as the editor. Was it pretty smooth uh, to, to get into that role? Oh, it took, so, um, let's see, Frank started coming down and fishing with me on the Williamson and when we were fishing we would talk um and so i had some ideas so the first time he came down i had an idea for a book and we talked about it and changed the idea a little bit and i ended up writing another book for him uh at that point called 40 great american trout flies Hmm. and so i wrote that that took about a year well actually about eight months but um the next year he came down to go fishing and we were talking about, and he, he was kind of looking for an editor at that time. I think Rob was getting really involved with his steelhead fishing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was looking for an editor. And, and at that point I just, I, you know, I had to pipe up. I'm like, Frank, I can do that. I can, I'd love yep. to. And I, so he, and of course Frank took some time to think about that and then eventually came back with an offer. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, you know, it was a series of of um, writing assignments, books, and because I'd written two books for him, Get Started Fly Fishing and then 40 Great American Trout Flies. It was, a, it was just that relationship that kind of built up over probably sure. about five years. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. and I, you know, I remember the call where he calls and says, you know, Craig, he says, you got the job if yeah. you want it. and. Yeah. It really felt like Christmas morning. No I mean, kidding. I was just like, oh yeah, I was so, you were, I was so stoked. No yeah. kidding. That's so, and yeah. that is that. So you get this job. What, what's the, you know, what are the next steps? What's the first thing? Do you do you get into it and realize uh, that it, it is a lot of work and or was it greater or, or you know what was it like compared to what you thought it would be like? Well, honestly, Dave, I didn't know what it was going to be like. I mean, I didn't realize, first of all, how big of a staff that he had up there and um, and how involved the staff were in the production of the magazine. And this is just this is just because Frank's has I mean, how many magazines does he um, produce? Well, he has three, but really he's only had two for for many years okay. that's um salmon trout steelheader and fly fishing and tying journal oh, yeah. which has changed names a oh, couple it has. times it has well, it has what, and what else has you it know been? what don't ask me that history because okay. i i don't even have it straight in my sure. mind <laughs> yeah um, we, we won't worry about that's not that's not that important but, <laughs> so i always think of frank when i think of frank i think of a bunch of magazines but yeah i guess it's all the book publishing that he does that makes you th- yeah think that because yes he, he does have a big i mean there's how many right hundreds and hundreds of books that he's published oh yeah 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 but i think if i'm not mistaken the the publisher and you sh- and if you get frank on the show you can ask him this i think it started with fly fishing and tying journal in its former life when it was named something else that's where frank started was with that magazine that was the first so, magazine and then salmon steelheader yeah i think that was his first publishing venture oh, was wow. the magazine okay. yeah so it's really uh you know 
near and dear to his heart, Fly Fishing and Tying Journal, because um, cool. it's been with the company since the very beginning. I mean, it launched his publishing career. That's um, that's really yeah. In the very beginning, I know I've heard some stories about Frank how you know, uh, working in the supermarket before, you know, like trying to pay yeah. the bill, you know, starting out very, right. very slim. And, and then he builds us into, you know, this big publishing, you know, out here, yes. you know, it is kind of a publishing dynasty because everybody knows Frank Amato. It's a, you know, it's a book. Right. It's a, there, he's a big, uh, a big name. Well, now I want to get back to that uh, 40 uh, great American t- uh, trout flies, just because I always uh-huh. ask, I ask a question on this, you know, the, kind of the top flies and stuff is that was that a like here's yeah. the top one and here's the four or are they just a, a bunch of, here's the top 40 did you have a list of which one was the best i had well i had to create the list uh and so really my process of doing that was just to look at the the um really the most traditional flies that a west coast fly angler would would have been using for like the last 20 to 30 years for trout dries nymphs everything yeah dries nymphs streamers all the categories what was Um, the number one what was the biggest fly the best fly if you had to pick one uh it would probably be the um uh the uh why aren't i thinking the name the hair the hair's ear oh yeah hair's ear yeah the hair's ear i think because it was it's the oldest fly oh it is Um, yeah it's the oldest fly. I mean, like in the history of, 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 um, fly fishing for trout, it's, it's probably one of our oldest flies in, in various, you know, various, uh, iterations down through the centuries. And it is still used with regularity today, uh, as much as it's ever been. And it happens to be a fly that I don't use. I didn't even want to put it in the book. No kidding. Yeah, but I had to. I couldn't ignore that fly. So what, 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 doing... yeah, well, what do you not? What, what do you not like about the hairs here? It's it's not a fly that appeals to me. Yeah, um, I find it. Uh, it's it doesn't sink great, you know, without put, adding a lot of weight to it. Um, I yep. just find a lot of other fly trout flies sexier and mm, that I have more confidence in, and I've just never taking the time to build confidence in that fly so um so uh yeah i i had to put it in the book just because it was one even though i didn't use uh was very important i'd say probably the fly that i if i had to give myself a number one fly it would be a fat flashback pheasant tail yeah like a size 18 exactly I, I, you can't, I can't beat, I mean, that is a fly that I have confidence in that I use all the time and is yep. fairly old, you know, oh, yeah. a lot of tradition coming from England. Yep. Um, so I learned a lot about flies going through that book because I had to research the backgrounds of all of them. And the focus of the book was not tying, although I did include the recipe. I wanted to give the history of the fly and then break – really what I want to do is break down the elements of the fly and why the fly worked. Yeah. So really look at the individual uh, properties of the fly time material like peacock, like mm. tinsel. Like, That's cool. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, and a lot of this I'm having to think through as I'm doing it because there's not a – there wasn't a lot of – so, uh, you know, there are my opinions on why those flies work yeah. and why that combination of materials work. 
But I also got to talk to some tires like Brian Sylvie up on the Deschutes mm-hmm. about his fly. And and those were my questions that I what, put what's to Sylvie's the tires. Fly? What is Sylvie's fly? It's the um, oh, oh the edible emerger. Oh, the edible emerger. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I had been using that down on the Williamson quite a bit. And oh, I'm cool. like, damn, this fly really works. Yeah. So that's a newer fly that went in the book. Um, How about the, uh, you got to have this, uh, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to the book, but did yeah. you have the, uh, what is, what is Mike Mercer's fly? I, I've, I've talked about this a couple of times on here. The, the missing link. Did you get that is one? Is that the name of it? Yeah. No. Okay. Uh-huh. The, the missing link. I, I uh, <laughs> it's classic. I mean, th- this fly is, I, I'm, I'm going to tell the story one more time because I just told it on mm-hmm. a recent podcast, but yeah, it's ridiculous. He, he, I asked him the same question. You know, I always ask everybody, what are your top two flies? If you had to go with two okay. and, and I think the missing link, I think that was his fly. And so I went down to the shoots, you know, the next weekend I was up doing that, you know, trout Creek float. And yeah. I mean, it was, it was every cast and I'm not joking. It was just, you know, and he, that's what he said too. He said the fly was like every cast. So he quit using it. It, it works so good. <laughs> really? Okay. Anyways, it's just, it's basically like an elk hair caddis, but it's got kind of a different wing and it's got some flash and I don't know. So I, I love, I love highlighting that because it's just such a, it worked so well for me, but, but no, so you, you have know, this book. Yeah. You have this yeah. book that's got a bunch of amazing, great, uh, histor- and so new and old flies. Yeah, new and old flies. I, th- I think the newest one is the Dragonator, and um, I'm sorry I forgot the guy's name, but he lives in Bend. Yeah, streamer angler, um, competition angler, came up with this okay. fly. So yeah, you know, I, I wanted to definitely dig in on the magazine. Basically, we've talked a little bit about the history there, but you know, can you describe for somebody? You know, it is one of the the biggest magazines out there in the fly fishing space. Probably a lot of people I have read that. Yeah, have read it. It's great. I mean, you, you know, you cover a lot of the, you know, the tips and tricks and things like that. Can you describe to somebody who's never read it what what um you know what it's all about and what what they could expect? Yeah. So when I first started working for the magazine, it was a, it's a I would classify it as kind of a traditional fly fishing magazine where you um, would expect to find destination articles. So, you know, places to fish and you're going to find a lot of how to information, Um, you know, how to use an indicator, how to do a set up a nymph rig, how to fish a dry fly, how to cast. And then you might find in the back of the magazine an essay. Um, Mm -hmm. which would be kind of a thoughtfully written piece, you know, um, thinking about fly fishing. What's a good example of, um, I'm not sure I know the recent uh, summer edition that's out. Um, I can't remember what the essay was in the back of that one, but was there something there that can you you can give an example or was there, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, um, Tom Alkire, I don't know if any of your listeners are familiar with Tom Alkire. He writes books and they're all essays on fishing, um, and they're reflective essays, kind of even philosophical essays. Uh, he wrote one called um, – oh, jeez. I can't think yeah, of the name I, of one. I'll put the link in. Uh, I'll find it. From the, okay. Is this one from the, um, the recent uh, edition or, or – or it's, it's not from a recent edition. Um, the most recent one, it uh, was written was a, actually a story written by Mike or no, not Mike. 
and I oh jeez, yeah, I, I, I can get I'm all sorry. these. No, yeah, I can I'm get sorry. all these links. McCafferty. I, oh, McCafferty. Oh, yeah, McCafferty. Yeah, yep, yep. He wrote the like the Royal Wolf Murder Mystery stories. Huh. Um, and that that was more of a story. That wasn't an essay. So, and the tail out, which is the kind of the last uh, article in the magazine, that's usually where you get your your um, reflective piece or your essay. Um, if you, I, if I can think of one of them, David, as we're talking, I can get back to that. Oh one, yeah, but yeah, no, no worries. Question. So basically, okay. yeah, you guys cover a little bit of everything, a little bit of destination, a little bit of fly tying, fly fishing. I mean, when people exactly. are, when people are coming to you. You know, like you said, you got this, some magazines have this big box of things that don't get published. I mean, how do you choose what to publish and what to, you know, like say, for example, the summer edition that came out, how do you choose what goes, what are the topics and then what to put out there? Well, so, uh, you kind of follow the format of what the magazine has been because, uh, that's what readers have come to expect from that magazine. So if you have readers thinking of the magazine as kind of an old friend, you know, when it comes to their mailbox every time, they kind of know what they're looking for and you want to maintain that format. So in this particular case, um, most of our readers of fly fishing magazines do tend to be um, beginning, intermediate, and Mm -hmm. I'd say slightly better than intermediate anglers. They're looking for information. Advanced anglers traditionally They'll flip through a magazine, but there's usually not a lot in there for them. Yeah, um, because they they've done it. They mm-hmm. they know the stuff. It's kind of you know just a rudimentary. Mm-hmm. So fly fishing magazines in general, it's changed, but uh, have been geared towards the sort of beginning fly fishing audience. Yep. We've kind of changed the format of fly fishing tying journal over the last few years. Um, we have gone, um, I have tried to get more advanced life tying articles in the magazine to appeal to more advanced fly tires. Mm-hmm. So I, I find a guy that's a really good fly tire like Dave McNeese. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah. and, and I have him write a series of fly tying articles for me for and I call him the writer, Fly Tire and res- Residence. And I have them write four advanced fly tying articles. They have to be um, original patterns, something that is not readily available on the Internet. Uh, so I want to try to find the most original content I can find that's not just duplicating what's online. Yeah. And that's been a big challenge. Yeah, it is. is right, because everything's online. Everything is online. So I got to find these guys uh, who, who, who are originators right. and, and e- creators. And even a new yeah. fly that somebody creates today, somebody else out there might see it and be like, somebody already made that fly 40 years ago, right? You well, I mean? yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, that definitely happens. Do you think it's a West Coast um, magazine? Uh, I mean, I know you cover a lot of everything, but do, how, do you, how do you – do you try to focus on a Western thing or, or do you – you know, how do you keep it from becoming that, or, or what's your thoughts there? Uh, I try, I try to keep it. I try to have a national focus, right? But it has a very West Coast bias mm-hmm. because that's where I'm from. That's where I learned, and a majority of my writers are on the West Coast. 
Um, I, I do work hard to get East Coast anglers, um, Southern anglers. I have a couple saltwater guys. Mm-hmm. And the more of them I can find, the more diverse the magazine becomes. But if I were just to pick from my usual lot of writers, uh, we would not be west of the rock, or we wouldn't be east of the Rocky Mountains. East of the Rockies, I mean, it'd yeah. be the rock, yeah, it'd be the Rockies to the Pacific. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm, and Frank gives Frank Frank. This is Frank's direction. You know, he's like we 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 used to be a Northwest magazine. We went and and to have a national appeal. Yeah. And his Frank's claim is that that's when Northwest fly fishing stepped in. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, because yeah. because we were no longer Northwest centric. Northwest fly fishing came in and made yep. a Northwest centric magazine, and right. they did it. They had a great model because they did what they do four of them, four, all yeah. kind of regional. Yeah, regional. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, yeah. And that magazine's obviously a little different. They focus on destinations more than they do the tips yes. and tricks. And I, I do want to get into yep. the Williamson uh, River because definitely that's sure. a, that is a sweet river. Um, before we get there, I just want to check on one thing. Who are the other tips and tricks magazines? Well, Fly Fisherman. Oh, magazine, Fly Fisherman. Yeah, they do, do tend to do be real heavy on tips and tricks. Yeah. Okay. So you, you got know, them. techniques. So, so it's yeah. pretty much you fly fisherman. Is that, is that it? Are there any other, I can't, um, I mean, Northwest fly fisherman probably has some of that mixed in there. How to, how to do it. Not a lot. Mm. I mean, uh, other than just some fly, t- he's definitely, Shuey's definitely expanded the fly tying. Oh yeah. yeah. Articles in yeah. that magazine. Yeah. I love his format, by the way. I think he's just really, uh, fine tune that format, yeah. but yeah, you're right. I mean, because if you look at stuff like the Drake and Angler's Journal and some of those other things, right, um, right. yeah, they're more culture magazines. They are, yeah, yeah. The Journal, the fly, yeah, fly fishing journal, all that stuff. Yeah. So I you mean, know, I think it, I mean to answer yeah. my own question, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think that uh, you know, and a lot of people, I brought that up, but a lot of people have said that there's room in fly fishing for, you know, tips and tricks and everything else because, yeah. you know, people are interested in that. And that's the way I see it. I know people that listen to this love some of the tips we and tricks we get into. And, and you know, Orvis yeah. podcast is a big tips podcast. Absolutely. As well. So, well, and I was, yeah. gonna, I was going to say, it depends on what venue you're bringing that up in. And I think, and you just hit on a perfect example, um, Rosenbauer's Orvis uh, podcast. I listen to it and oh, I yeah. enjoy the hell out of it's it. It's huge. I mean, it, it is. And you learn a lot from Tom himself. Um, I think that is a great venue for listening to tips and tricks. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine anyone really disagreeing with that. No. I think what maybe they're suggesting is that the fly casting 101, the nymphing 101 yeah. that they see in the magazines. Yeah, that stuff is pretty available online, and I can see where people could be tired of that, yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. That's, pr- that's probably it, yeah. Okay, well, let, let, let's jump into your uh, your home water, and um, maybe sure. just talk about what you consider your, your home river, and, and then talk about how you catch fish there. And I don't know if, I mean, you said the Wood and Williamson. Are they pretty much, you know, pretty similar enough that you could talk about both of them together, or would you like to pick out one? Um, I need to talk a about them a little bit separate because they are just in terms of volume the wood is a much smaller river oh okay 
It also has brown trout in it, which the Williamson has a few, but not not to the extent that the wood has. The wood the wood really traditionally is a brown trout fishery with this, you know, oh, occasional see. migration of gotcha. of red bands running up the river. Um and more in the fall. Yeah. So so the Williamson is more of your kind of your like you're saying your steelhead uh, similar uh, techniques as the steelhead fishing. The Williamson, right. yeah. 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 Well let's um yeah. I mean unless you have a preference I mean I no. fish the Williamson. Well, yeah. Yeah. The Williamson, I mean, that's our bread and butter. Okay, that's cool. that's that's our river that I'm on eighty percent of the there time. There you go. So let, let's dig into yeah. this a little bit. I, I haven't been down there in a little while, but I remember when yeah. I was down there. You know, I was with somebody who kind of knew the area a little bit, and we were floating it. And you mm-hmm. know, you were picking these spots, which you know I wouldn't know anything about the spot if I didn't <laughs> if I wasn't with somebody. So that, you know, mm-hmm. obviously having the guide was big. Can you talk yeah. about how you catch fish there and just take us to the river? And are you drift yeah. boats? Are you walking? And how you how you do it? So mostly from drift boats, at least the guiding, because there's so much private property, your your river access is very limited. There's a few spots you can wade and fish, like up at Collier Park, um, but uh, it's it's pretty restrictive. If you have a boat or a pontoon boat, you'll be much better off. Um, so, I mean, and we have one put-in and one take-out. Oh, no kidding. It's just one put-in. Yeah, I mean, one official put in, and that's the county park up at the confluence of the Sprague and the Williamson. Oh, yeah. And their takeout is below the highway bridge at the Waterwheel Campground. Okay. Um, there's a couple takeouts below there, but, um, you know, mostly you're in frog water at that point. Oh, okay. Which is very productive fishing on the Williamson, but um, that's a lot of river between the put in and how, the takeout. How many miles is that? It's right around maybe six miles, okay. maybe. Yep. And I'd say two and a half of those are frog water. Okay. So um, this isn't a river where you are looking for a lot of traditional uh, freestone river type fishing. Uh, the Williamson is a spring creek. The Sprague is a freestone river. And those two converge and form the bulk of the water that we fish. And so you have this sort of modified spring creek, uh, and I say modified because it's big, like you'd find, you know, it's yeah. not as big as a Deschutes, no, but, you but know, it's, it's a big, yeah, it's, yeah 50, it's wide. 50 to 80 feet wide, right? Yeah, and the CFS, you know, I think in the lows were right around 600, Yeah, I want to say, and then, you know, it can get up to, I don't know. 1500 maybe mm-hmm. in in the winter the runoff so but you have these uh but you have kind of spring creek conditions maybe tailwater type conditions where you have selective fish hatches um you have very clear water so got to keep your distance from the fish and um mm, what I see most people doing, which is a mistake, is is they go to the river and they head straight to the riffles like they would on any other river, mm. which would make sense. Yep. Unfortunately, the big the big fish that you're after if you're coming to the Williamson do not hang out in the riffles, except maybe in the very beginning in the spring. So uh, as hard as it is, don't go to those riffly areas where you really want to focus your attention is on the the flats 
and the um, the deeper pools. Right. Anything that mimics lake water, because all of these fish are lake loving trout. Hmm. That that's where they probably prefer to stay most of the time. If they didn't have to get out of the lake, they probably wouldn't. So they come into the river. They find that familiar water, which is that lake-type water, and that's where they feed and mm-hmm. hold. And, um, and, the, and, so, and this so, is around yeah. structure, and you hear about the um, – I'm not sure the name yeah. of the, the holes, but like the bed bed springs hole, right? You get all these old car, yeah. you know, stuff structures, but they hold it around. If you can find the structure, you'll find the fish. Huge underwater ledges. Yeah. I mean, massive rock structure, these, uh, these basalt – formations underneath the water which really amazes most people when they see it the first time um yeah that i mean that structure is super important there's going to be it creates a great habitat for the fish um so getting on the water you know getting on the water and just drifting the river and looking at that structure looking where you see fish holding because you're going to go over the top of them is a great way to orient yourself to the river. I mean, just leave your fly rod in the car, hmm. take a float down the river, and just look for fish. Yep. Um, that would be very helpful rather than coming to the river thinking you know where the fish are because uh, that's going to make for an unsuccessful day because you're fishing water. It's very non-traditional, I would say, trout water. It, a steelhead angler would do better if they read the Williamson like a steelhead river than yeah. a trout angler who read it like a trout river. Are you are you swinging like uh, wet flies for these fish? Or I mean, you talked about hatches, but uh, can you get them on streamers and wet flies, things like that? Well, primarily streamers. Okay. Yeah. So all these fish come into the river. They're eating leeches and bait fish out in the lake most of the time. Uh, they get yeah. into the river, and as Marlin says, these fish don't know what an insect is when they first come into the river. Right. Wow. So the, they're looking to chase down food, so, and so, so these the are seal bugger. These are, these are essentially. Yeah, these are steelhead. These are yeah. steelhead. I mean, they're the same species, obviously, and but yeah, it's it's the ocean. You got the lake as their ocean, and they're exactly. coming in to do their thing, just like a steelhead would do. And how big? And, how big are these yeah. fish? I and mean, what's the biggest fish you, you see you've seen? And then what's the average? So when I first came down here, the average fish was right around eighteen to twenty inches. I would. I would say, actually, maybe it was more like 20 to 22 inches. I would say that average has gone down just a little bit. It's mm-hmm. probably more like 18. Mm-hmm. Um, my largest fish landed is right around 32, 33 inches. Wow. And I would say on any given guided trip, most people at least get a shot at a 30-incher. Wow. So you're talking, you're talking like almost a, like a 10-pound fish. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Depending on the time of year, it could be 12 pounds. Wow. Yeah. Yep. So we're talking big fish and are you, you know, gear wise, are you using uh, more steelhead type gear or what, what do you, you know, how, how, like maybe go through the six leader, weights. Yeah. Go through the, the leader line, uh, kind of tip. Yeah. Setup. Well, that's kind of the, see, that's the, you're, you're fishing for the sort of landlocked steelhead but it's a trout and it eats like a trout. So, you know, we're down to five X tippet. Oh yeah. Fluoro, all fluoro. I don't even use, the only time I use mono is if I'm fishing dry flies. Otherwise I'm completely fluorocarbon. Uh-huh. Um, so, but when the water clears, you got to go down to that five X 
and um, I use all six weights. Um, I'll use five weights for dry flies occasionally, but when I'm fishing the streamers, and then I'm using a clear intermediate full sink line. Oh, wow. That's my swinging line. There you go. So, and I'd say we end up using that line probably 70% of the season. Okay, so you're basically, you that, that gets you down so you don't have to use a ton of weight on your, your fly or anything right. like that. No. Yeah, because we're using, uh, so the, the fly really, which I think epitomizes the streamer fishing, uh, is the Denny Rickards seal bugger. Oh, yeah, the seal bugger. Yeah, and eights and tens. And then you can drop down a little smaller as the season goes along. That sparse little yeah. bugger with the dubbed body, that's that's what we're I had, swinging. I had uh, Denny on in a past episode as well. Oh, I'll, yeah, I'll yeah. put a link to that one. It was yeah, it was kind of yeah. funny because he went into some of the entomology stuff and uh, he covered – I mean, I thought it was a great episode. He really broke down, really made it simple, simplified the lake. But we talked about lakes, obviously. So now we're talking about – this is pretty cool because now we're talking about rivers and we're kind of covering the whole thing. Same fish. I mean, we're fishing over the same fish, whether you're in the lake or you're in the rivers, but their, their characteristics change between those two spots, right? So you're fishing in the river, you're really fishing them like a steelhead or like a river trout. And in the lake, you're, they act like lake fish. Mm. I mean, it's fascinating. Same fish. Yep. And I'll tell you, Denny, Denny Rickards, uh, there's a fascinating history there between him and um, Jay Fair and um, right. uh, a few other guys who, is, who, who really – Who is Jay Fair? Jay Fair's name has come up a few times. I've heard of it. I, what was his, what was his uh, claim to fame? What, what, How did he – you know, he was a pretty big name. Yeah, so he was down on Eagle Lake in California, and he was a, a – uh, he was a fly – materials dealer oh, and he right. dyed his own feathers that's right and he yeah and he came up with this this fly time material that was all in these earth tones um these mellow yellows uh, dirty yellows olives really muted tones burnt orange huh. yep. um shades of brown and those colors a lot of those colors he developed on eagle lake and they translated well up to Klamath Lake, sure. where Denny and Jay fished a lot together, and um, because they're a very similar fish, the Eagle Lake trout and the Williamson red band are very similar in size and you know behavior characteristics. So, and they respond to flies in a very similar way. Gotcha. And so Denny's seal buggers really originated from that, and oh, wow. Rich. So Rich Henry also has a part to play in this. Um, Rich Henry uh, really came up with um, leech patterns for fishing the Williamson and, Rich and the, the lake. Um, isn't there a, a Native American guide or – That's person? him. That's – okay, yeah. That's, that's, that's Rich. Okay. He, he, he lives down in Brookings now, and he's uh, getting up there in age. Mm-hmm. But um, the man is a, uh, just simply a he's legend. He's the man. That's he, what you hear. Yeah, yeah he's yeah, the man. Yeah, yeah. So these guys all work together, though. At one point, whenever this was in the 70s, developing all these techniques and styles and the sinking lines. And when I came down here um, and I was instructed on how to fish the river, I got really curious. I'm like, what? why are we fishing the river this way? Who, who came up with this? Who <laughs> discovered this? You know, why am I fishing for these trout like they're steelhead? 
and why can't I use indicators? Right. And, uh, you know, and you look back at the history of Polly Rossbro, mm-hmm. you know, because Polly Rossbro was very present when all these other guys were fishing the river. Was he down and, in that area too? Yeah, he was in Chiliquin. Man, that he was, was on the river. That, that place is loaded with a bunch of. Uh, obviously, it has, ah. has big fish. <laughs> you know, I've talked to Randall Kaufman. Um, Randall Kaufman used to come down here and fish all the time. Yeah, Dave Hughes and his whole crew. So, um, Ted well, Leeson. It is amazing. It is amazing because we don't have. When you think of lakes, I mean, you could look across Klamath and not see the other side, right? I mean, it's. It's gigantic. Almost. Almost. Yeah, almost. Yeah, yeah, almost. Right, yeah. right. So it's, yeah, like, yeah. for us, we're not, you know, we don't have the great lakes next door, so we don't have that. But for yeah. us, Klamath is, is yeah. one of the big things we have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, and, uh, the, you know, the thing about Klamath Lake is the average is only like six to eight feet That's deep. right. That's crazy. Yeah. So that creates, you know, you get that warm water very quickly. You get those algae blooms and those fish just they want to bail out of the lake and oh, get up into no the kidding. spring areas. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's what that and the fact that they spawn year round. Oh, they, really? So that, yeah. So they're always moving up and down the rivers from the lake, uh, with the spawning. Yeah. And, uh, Bill Tenniswood, who is an ODF and W guy down here has been radio tracking these fish and these fish will move up to 900 miles in a season. One fish. Wow. They're uh, up and down from north to south end of the lake. They're up multiple rivers. Jeez. He says the movement is crazy. I mean, they don't have a, a logical explanation. Right, for yeah. Why, why would they, they be moving so much? so much? Yeah. Seems like that's they're a lot steelhead. Of yeah, they're steelhead, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. And historically, you know, I think right naturally, you know, if you look at the geology, they may have been steelhead in the past, right? There may have been a connection. Yes, they, they think there were steelhead and salmon in this basin um, because there's direct access from the lake all the way to the ocean via the Klamath River. Exactly. And they think that potentially, you know, Robert Binky, who wrote um, uh, North American Salmon and Trout Species, um, he was pretty convinced that, that there were steelhead genetics in our red yeah. band trout. Exactly. It makes sense. And yeah. So somehow, somewhere along the way, they got mixed well, in. Yeah. Well, let's, let's take it back. So we're back on the river and we're, so say we're down yeah. there and we've done our, our float through. We found some spots for fish hole. Now we're on the next trip and yeah. we know where that spot is. We anchor up, you know, I'm assuming kind of above and then you're in the boat. I mean, how yes. do you, are you just swinging like downstreaming across with this little seal bugger with your, your line? Is yeah. that pretty simple? And that's it? Yeah. That's in a nutshell. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So you're anchoring on every hole. You're not doing any side drifting or any fishing and moving really. And, you know, uh, it's perfecting that quartering down technique, getting a good mend and a, and a really good swing and um, a good straight line swing so that that fly is not only swinging, but it's sinking as well. Mm-hmm. It's dropping as it's coming through that hole. And where I find I get the most of my fish, if I'm doing it right, Dave, is right on the tail end of that swing. That's sometimes in the swing, but really at the tail end. And then um, before, I always just take... Just before the hang down? Yes, before, just before the hang down. That's usually where they... Or it's that first strip. Oh, you're stripping too. Well, we, we do. Retrieve back and oh, you just catch retrieve, a lot right. of... The, yeah, the slower the water the more you want to retrieve back. Okay. 
Uh, faster water, maybe not so much, but that slower water, man, they see that thing moving through the water so, and they'll just so, come up and strike it. And I just had a, a, a new mess. I have these comments in the Facebook group and uh, that ah. pop up. And one of them was that, that same as I think, how do you get down, you know, to the right depth on, on a river? Mm. And how would you say, I mean, obviously you have the right line. Is that, is it pretty much that simple? Get the right line and you'll get to the right depth or, or do you, do you do multiple men's as you're, as you're swinging? If I, um, fish with anything heavier than a clear intermediate, I would eventually hit the bottom like a type type two, type three, type four, too heavy for, yep. um, you know, a majority of the season. You'll, you'll hang up everywhere. The type one just seems to be just perfect. I mean, you'll hang up occasionally, but, and I don't even really worry about depth. I don't know necessarily how deep my fly is on that swing. What I'm watching is, I'm watching the angle of my fly line from my rod tip to my fly. I want to see that that's straight. And I work a lot of slack into that swing and into that drift, right? So I quarter down. I give it a little bit of men, maybe even just a little lift men. And then I'll just work a few feet of slack into that line to get it to start drifting downriver, right? And then when I see that it's, you know, Drifted down riverways and it's sort of deep. Mm-hmm. I even stick my rod tip under the water, and then that swing starts. And I know I have a straight line to the fly, so then that starts uh, I'm swinging and drifting right down through that hole. Mm-hmm. So my concern here is not depth. I'm not worried about depth because I know these fish are going to rise to a fly, okay. regardless of how deep it is. They they do that. What I am more concerned with is the presentation of that fly to the fish. Am I getting the fly ahead of the fly line? Do I have a straight line connection to that fly line? And with sinking line, it's hard because it's easy to get that belly because the, the line will marry to the water really quickly. Right. So you got to make sure to get that mend. Yep. Uh, and I think that's where the, the trick of that technique comes in is um, – is is getting that proper presentation? Yeah, I don't first, know if that answers the question. Yeah, yeah that of your first mend, basically. Person. So you so you cast out downstream and across, and if you have a spot, you know, you know, you eventually want to, as it's swinging, hit that bucket that's out there, and you want to exactly make your first mend, get it down, and then just get a straight line connection with your, you know, control things as much as possible. So exactly control. Yeah, you're, you're getting control down. Control the drift. You're getting down close enough to the fish. You don't have to drag the bottom close enough. But you uh, don't. Yeah, you don't want to be on the surface. You don't want to be like just you don't want to be just under the i mean because with summer steelhead i mean you know obviously dry flies and things like that they'll come up for but you're getting down definitely deeper i mean how far below the surface would you say on average you're getting with these lines with the fly three to four feet oh yeah so you're maybe Maybe. down there you're down there pretty good but i can't tell you how many times i've had fish hit that fly seconds after it's hit the the water yeah i mean just throw it in the right spot but yeah yeah so yeah, that's it. Okay. Well, I think that gives us a little bit of a, um, you know, perspective on, you know, what, I mean, is there anything else as far as the Williams? I mean, I'm sure there's tons of other things we can get into hatches. We just don't have enough time to get into all the, the there is the, the aquatic insect, yeah. right? You, you, you can't hit dries and other little wet flies and stuff. Yeah. You know, the highlight is the hexagenia oh, every okay. year Yeah, comes off in the first two weeks of July. There's uh there's a whole smattering of hatches. I mean, I wouldn't ignore dry flies on that river. I don't, it's becoming more and more of a dry fly river to me the longer I'm on it. 
when I first started, I don't think I threw dry flies for the first five years. Hmm. It was all streamers. But I've, I've kind of, there you go. You know, yeah. So, and that's just fly fishing, right? I mean, as we yeah, yeah. learn, we always, you know, change. Um, you know, and back to the, to the magazine, I just wanted to hit on this, um, uh-huh. You know, really quick, just on topics, because, I mean, you guys cover a bunch of, do, do you have a feel for what your, you know, maybe your most popular topic or article or what people are requesting out there from, from you guys in that magazine? Or is it just kind of you cover a little bit of everything? And Well, I've, we, uh, we're getting more and more folks. You know, we've been publishing a lot of fiction, poetry, and more essays lately. Uh-huh. And, and are this you getting, a, how are you getting, do you getting, how do you track the response to that? I mean, how do you know if that's uh, kind of uh, resonating? We all rely on, we have to rely on, on, on unsolicited feedback from the readers. So we're not sending out surveys. Uh, we just have to wait for those, that feedback to get to us or people make comments to me directly. Yeah. So this um, kind of, it's a small change for the magazine, but it's really the result of my deputy editor, Henry Hughes, who is a professor at um, Western Oregon State. Hmm. He's finding these great writers and poets and sending them my way and, and helping with the editing and everything. And I have gotten probably more positive feedback um, since we've been doing this, since I've had the magazine. I mean, I'm getting... People are really enjoying the stories and the poetry and the right. and and the essays. Um, they just they and I'm and I'm putting in less how-to articles. So, so there you go. So that get back gets back to our how-to thing. That uh, you're actually yeah. you're actually getting some of the more you know. You're, I mean, who knows? Maybe in five years it's going to be all uh, all essays, right? It's uh, you know what I, I'm not sure Frank will let that happen because <laughs> yeah. he's always been kind of hey, against that. What is Frank? But, yeah. What is Frank? You know, you look at the because you know again we're not going to have time to dig into this, but yeah. You know, what do you think for Frank? What is um, you know, what's the biggest thing you've learned from Frank over the years? Um, and well, maybe you could talk a question. little bit about and maybe you could talk a little bit about just him. He seems like such a. Uh, I haven't seen a lot of stuff out there on him. I mean, he's got obviously he's a big player out here. But, <laughs> a little enigmatic, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What, what's the what's the deal with Frank? Is he a is he a pretty easygoing guy? Is he a guy? Oh, that's hard oh to, so yeah. so easygoing. Yeah. I I mean, Frank is the kind of guy that uh, takes his drift boat out by himself and goes and drifts, you know, the Deschutes and steelhead fishes for days and days and days no on his own. That's yeah. cool. And how old is he now? I think he's. I know he's approaching eighty. I yeah, don't think he's quite eighty yet. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. He's, he's up there in that range. Okay. But what? What a kind man. Is, I mean, a uh, cool. real sweetheart. Yeah. Um, where he gets the reputation of being so elusive, I have no idea. I know. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just because he's so busy. <laughs> he's so busy. He's hard to track. Could down. be. But well, yeah. he, he, what it is is he's on the river fishing for two weeks at a time. Without, it's true. Without yeah, telling he, you, yeah. He has a place down on the nacelle um, on the coast, and he is down there. Man, when those fish are in the river, he's at his cabin on the nacelle, oh. and he just fishes. There you and go. That's what he does. There you go. That's that really cool. 
Okay. Well, I'm hoping to to get Frank on the show. So hopefully, if uh, down yes. the line, I'll be able to dig into some of this and have have him answer some of these questions as well. Um, Allow be- two hours. Yeah. All right. Too, be a good. good. Show. Um, yeah. So a couple, you know, as we're kind of working down here towards, you know, uh, trying to wrap this thing up, um, you know, this is a little bit of a struggle for me as well. And it's kind of funny because I have a couple of young daughters who are, you know, totally amazing. But what about the diversity thing in the magazine? I mean, I found that it's been a struggle. I think a lot of my listenership is, is definitely a good chunk of males. Do you guys track that? And are you trying to make your, you know, content more diverse? Are you trying to get more female writers? What what, what do you think about that whole topic? I I think it's it's uh, a ripe topic. <laughs> yeah, um, women are definitely becoming more um, players in the sport. Uh, you know, there's that great book that just came out. Uh, Fifty. Oh yeah. Yep. I angling women. I can't remember the uh, yeah. one of uh, yeah. I've had a, I've had a number of uh, female guests on now, and they they're in the couple. Mia Shepard. Yeah, Mia's in. That. I think yep. is in that. Yeah, Mia's yep. in that. Yep. And. There is no question. I mean, I heard a statistic that forty percent of the anglers across the U.S. are women. Yeah. I, I, if that's true, where are they? I mean, I don't see them represented. But um, I'm looking for more women photographers, women writers. I try to get a greater female presence in the magazine, um, and we've managed to do that quite a bit of that. Oh, cool. Um, I'd say I appeal. The magazine is really a I think Frank thinks of it as a family-friendly magazine, mm-hmm. um, but I think I'm still appealing to an adult audience with the magazine. So our writing level is, you know, a little higher, um, you know, like maybe high school level or up. And um, I'm not doing a lot on. I think a kid would struggle with our magazine. You know, a 14, 15 year old might struggle a little bit with the magazine. Um, but I am, um, very much trying to incorporate more women into the magazine. Cause I just think it's just, uh, and it's not even a trend. It's just like a realization that, Hey, women are doing this sport really, you know, like men are and, and we need to be more inclusive. Yeah. So for sure. Yeah, for sure. Okay. What are, are there any other, uh, kind of resources, books, magazines, things like that, that you enjoy reading or you'd recommend maybe something specific for the Williamson or just in general? Not for the Williamson. Cause there's really not a lot out there on it. I mean, um, nobody publishes fishing reports. There really hasn't been any books written on it. Um, I personally have been reading, uh, um, I'd have to do book reviews for the magazine, so I read a lot of oh, books cool. that come through. Um, and I'm I'm kind of a fly tying book junkie. I love fly tying books. Nice. Um, I always learn something from them. I think is the reason why I like them so much. Um, but and and some of the essays and literature, um, um, Scott Sandal is one that's been okay. writing recently. He's been writing some nice books. Uh, more essay reflective stuff. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, There's a ton. Of, well, so you have in, the, in the, this uh, book review. So it, I guess this would be in, uh, you know, certain kind of throughout the magazine. But do you guys have any of this online? I mean, I guess they, you don't have really a online content plan, right? As far as the magazine. We just, Fly Fishing, Tine Journal, and Salmon Trout Steelheader just. Uh, created websites that are up now. Oh, there you go. 
yeah, we're in the process of getting content on it. So there's not a lot of content on it, but um, these are really going to be extensions of each of the magazines. I'm going to try to get digital versions of the magazines out. Um, this is something that um, Amato has basically ignored this trend. Yep. Um, and they have now Nick and Tony have, are pretty much fully committed to it. Okay. So and, yes, there's a, is, there Nick, are websites and Nick Amato and, t- and Tony. Yeah. Tony Amato. Oh, and Nick okay. Amato. So there's right. Gotcha. Yeah. His sons. His, his sons. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Well, we'll yeah. keep an eye on that. And yeah, as more resources, obviously, yeah, yeah that, that helps. And yeah, videos is, are going to continue getting huge. Um, so who yep. knows, you know, somebody just All recently asked me about a, a PDF and whether you can, you know, embed a video into a PDF and stuff like that. So I'd imagine, you know, if you're right. going to stay with it, eventually, you know, people are going <laughs> to expect to have some of this stuff that, yeah, is just goes along with the mag, you know, if they don't want to read it. Well, and we've heard that before too. Yeah. People just don't like for conservation reasons and other reasons, they don't like the paper. I mean, I think a lot of people still do love the paper and probably will always love the paper. Yeah. But. It's such a, it's such a, uh, well, the whole publishing trends, I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah, it changes really quickly. Does. But I want to see Fly Fishing Time Journal website really, yeah, have a lot of video content, reading cool. content. Um, yeah, make it just as enjoyable, if not more, than the magazine. Yeah. yeah. What um, What is your favorite thing about being the editor? Working and collaborating with the writers and photographers. Putting together all of their uh, great writing into one package. Uh, I mean, uh, I just, I love working with these people. They are so, they are hardworking, hard angling writers out there that spend a boatload more time on the water than probably even you and I. Oh, yeah. And these people really live and die for the sport. And they are trying to make a statement with their articles and with what they're trying to write because it's coming you know they're writing what they're passionate about, and um, and I love working with these people. I mean, that's the, just the exposure to these writers is the best part of the job. That is cool. What is the? I mean, so it's been a number of years. Obviously, this magazine's been out. Are there you know past content and all that stuff? Is there a way to get access to you know say a magazine from you know fifteen twenty years ago? <laughs> <laughs> Is that a, might be tough. Yeah, so um, it's not. I mean, that's the thing that's kind of cool. Like you think yeah. about as things change, you know, if you could put some of that, like an archive of the magazines, maybe I they, agree. Maybe they don't get them right up front, but eventually, once they've been out, you know, you can people can read the magazine because think of it. All those people, maybe some person that's his yeah. only article he's ever published. It'd be cool to have yeah. that live somewhere. Dave, you you just came up with a great idea. I mean, not that I haven't thought of it before, but it just it sounds good I know. when you talk about it that way. I'd love to see that happen. I'm I'm sure it's buried somewhere in some archive. Mm-hmm. It's got to be. Um, oh right, because you have di- like um, so, but you don't have a digital version uh, currently. You're, you're, we do not. Yeah, you don't. not currently. Yeah, not. Yeah, currently, we're working but, to it. But you're working yeah. to it. Yeah, so eventually you will. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's see here. Uh, I'll uh, see if I can find a couple of things to wrap this up. I, I do have, <laughs> you know, I guess the 222 is a good way to start wrapping it up. I always, you know, your top two flies, top two tips, top two resources. You know, think about oh, the okay. Williamson. If we're just thinking about the Williamson, so I guess the, the seal bugger would be one. It would be. And what yes. would be your other, if you had to pick one for the, the rest of, of time that you on the Williamson? You know, I'll, p- I'll pick a dry fly. 
And I'm going to pick a size eight Madam X. Ooh, nice. Yeah, with a peacock with a peacock body there or a yellow body. Yeah, there you go. Okay. And yeah. what about your top two tips? If you're, you know, again, take that person they're fishing the Williamson maybe for their first time or two. Any tips you would give them to help them find their first fish out there? I would say um, focus on the slow slow water and what is slow so so is are we talking a pool like there's no current at all or almost no, no no there's there's current maybe um, yeah not your one to two miles per hour but not your steelhead uh, current not or is it exactly that steelhead? yeah current? yeah kind of kind of your steelhead current even okay. even a little slower but yeah, yeah. kind of your, your your you know your edge softer current yep, yep. okay um, Definitely focus on that water. If it looks like lake water, there's a trout there. Um, and then the second thing I would say is really pay attention to refining your swinging technique. Mm-hmm. Don't take that for granted. Um, pay attention to what the line is doing in the water. And um, perfecting that swing will increase your catch rate uh, over someone who just throws it out there and lets it rip across the current. Right. With the same, with the same thing every time. Yes. Yes. And the same retrieve and yeah, yeah. you know, every, I'd say that every pool on the Williamson demands a slight tweaking or uh, nuance in the, in the swing. And when you get to know a river that well, um, it's, it's, it's such a reward to be able to make those little changes and find success. Gotcha. Okay. And what about, so resource, and you've talked about, you mentioned that there's not a ton for the Williamson, but it, are there anything else that pops out as far as top two resources? Um, you know, it could be Klamath Falls or just maybe fly fishing in general that you'd recommend for somebody. Uh, you know, for this area? Yeah. Something that's not your own. And if you can't think of anything for the Williamson, is there anything bigger, you know, maybe for the Klamath area or Oregon or maybe even. You know, we have a really active um, tourism board down here oh, cool. um klamath tourism i think is what it's called yep because there is uh, and they do give a certain amount of attention to fishing and outdoor stuff here because mm-hmm. you know you have crater lake all oh, right but you know we're within a stone's throw of gosh a couple dozen rivers and reservoirs all of which hold really good populations of trout you know the Sycan, the shiwa can the sprag um, yep. there's got to be a half dozen spring creeks all flowing into, uh, Klamath Lake so, and agency Lake. So they could help maybe find, you know, camping or just stuff. Getting, oh yeah. Yeah. All that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Klamath, um, Klamath tourism, okay. I believe is what discover Klamath is what it's called. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Get a link in yep. the show notes to that. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and then, yeah. Are there any other, you know, I mean, as far as a magazine book, you know, um, you know, again, if you were going down to that area, what would you say? What would you tell somebody to get prepared for it? Anything they could read or look up or, you know, any? Gosh, you know, there's just not that much in print. Yeah. Um, and why is I, that? Why, why is there not much? It's such a We talked about all these people, Polly Rosenberg, you know, I mean, all these uh, big names, Dave Hughes. I, mean, I know. He, I'll bet you Dave's got stuff, but that guy's got it. Okay. Have... So, yeah. So, in Dave Hughes' book, Wet Fly. Yeah. Yeah. He devotes a whole chapter to Polly Rossborough when he was down here fishing with them on the river. Perfect. 
that is an extremely valuable chapter. And I would also say read Fly Fishing and Tying the Fuzzy Nymph, okay. which is Polly's book. All right. Um, it's a little, certainly a little dated in terms of fly patterns and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But um, because no one really uses Polly's flies down here anymore, which is, it's kind of a shame. I mean, it's kind of a tradition w- lost. Which Polly is the, is that like the Polly yarn sort of thing? Or what? What is the no? Poly? No, that, no, that's separate. Yeah. So he tied Polly Rossbro. Polly's his nickname, E. H. Polly Rossbro. Yeah. Um, Ernest, I think. But he tied a f- the nymph called the fuzzy nymph, and he had a a way of tying that. What, what did that just so, quickly? What did that look like? What's the fuzzy nymph look like? It was it was a uh, it was a shaggy, dubbed, bodied nymph. Yeah. The the thing is, is when he was doing it, no one else had done it. This so like was a hair, like, like a hair's ear almost. Almost like a hair's ear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. It just, I mean, he kind of invented this whole genre of nymphs and huh. in the, what, the 30s or the 40s? Oh, wow. Right. That was that really long. early. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and that, that was, that's the thing about, and that's why it was so unique because, Back then, people were, you know, talking shit about the uh, the nymph fishing, right? Back in the thirties yeah, and forties. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he got he got the, he gained the attention of Ernie Schweibert. Oh yeah. And Ernie um, started promoting some of Polly's flies in some of his books. Oh. I think that's really what propelled Polly to some some at least some fame um, yeah. and established him because he was he's really the First one on the West Coast to go out and do the entomology, look at the insects, and tie for those insects. And he did all that on the Williamson River. Oh, there you go. So there you go. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's uh, let's uh, we we got that covered. Let, let's wrap up. Uh, you know, I was kind of some of my random questions here to wrap this up. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite uh, music or type of music or band you like to listen to? Jazz. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, Been and, listening to yeah. uh, Miles Davis a lot lately. Oh, cool. Right, the the biggest, yeah, Miles Davis. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, yeah. bitches, awesome. bro. Bitches, that's my right. album right, right now. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> what about? Do you have a Do you have a bucket list uh, destination? Something out there you 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 need to you know before we finish things up, you you need to get to. It's a toss up between Alaska and New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, at one of those two places, I Alaska for the abundance of fish, and New Zealand for the. Uh, the just the sheer difficulty. Yep. And and is the Alaska trip the 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 full on lodge trip, or you want like a remote camp camp out? I don't care. You don't I care. just want to be in the water casting yep. for steelhead. Gotcha. Big steelhead. There you go for steelhead. <laughs> All right for big steelhead guys. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, how how about uh, are you a big movie buff? Do you, do you let do you, do you yeah. watch movies? Yeah. yeah. What, what's uh, do you yeah. have a favorite uh, movie that uh, you know kind of throughout your life that you think pops in? You know. I, or, or I, I got to say, and it may be a cliche, but Pulp Fiction was oh, it. damn. I mean, I know. everything, yeah, that, begins and ends with that. That was ridiculous. <laughs> that movie, when I first saw that, it was, yeah, it just, yeah, yeah. It, it was so hardcore. It just, like, it was like, damn, this thing is great. We didn't know. I could just remember sitting in the theater. We just didn't know what we were watching. I know. Like, this is crazy. I know. You know what's cool about it? What I love about that movie, too, is yeah. I've always loved John Travolta. And it was the yes. first time I saw John Travolta in this really totally different character. Well, maybe Absolutely. he's done it, but it was awesome to see him like just killing it oh. on the, on a new crazy Quentin Tarantino freak movie. Yeah. 
That's that's a good no. call. I, right. Yeah, and his his new one's pretty good. I went out and saw it. Oh, um, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's it called? I'm not uh, sure. I, I'm not, the Hollywood. I, I haven't even been keeping up on movies at all. Yeah, he just came. It just released the new Tarantino. Okay. Yeah, go oh, see new it. Tarantino. Good. Okay, and with, yeah, yeah. with John, with Travolta. No, oh, not okay. with Travolta. Yeah, with Tra- Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio. There you go. I'm gonna. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'll find. A, I'll put a link uh, or to a trailer for that one because yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what that yeah. is, but. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we kind of, um, you know, kind of touched on most everything. Anything else, you know, about the magazine you, you want to touch on that we missed or anything, you know, before we let you go? You know, uh, we, we love feedback. Yeah. I mean, if gosh, if you got feedback, either positive or negative, uh, you know, let us know. We we pay attention. We listen to it. We incorporate suggestions. We want, um, yep. we want to know what's working and what's not working. And what would be a good? Do you have a if somebody wanted to provide some feedback? How would they do that? Well, they could go to so FTJ editor um, at amatobooks dot com is a great way to okay uh, uh, give us feedback. You can call Amato. Um, cool. Cool. There's links on the website. All right. All, yeah. um, yeah, the FTJ editor at amatobooks.com. All, um, yeah. Yeah. And if, if somebody does send some feedback, maybe they can just note uh, wet fly swing podcast just so we know maybe some of it. Yeah. Some, yeah. Some of it came. No, from, that'd be perfect from this yeah. way. And we can track yep. that a little bit. Um, yeah, Craig. Well, I, that's all I have for you. I mean, in the next six to 12 months, anything you want to note uh, new coming up for you or the magazine or any, you know, personally or professionally? Um, you know, I'm pretty satisfied right now. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing and mm-hmm. improving the magazine and getting great content in there. And yeah, you know, uh, really personal goal. I'd like to get out and fish more. Frankly, right. I that's spend right. so much time guiding and and well, writing about it that I don't get to do it a lot. That's right. What is your guiding yep. uh, season? Like, when do you start it? When do you finish it? And so, fourth Saturday of May through the end of October. Oh, fourth Saturday through the end of October. So that's it. So basically, come after October. And I think you had a, a, your side gig was kind of a, like a kid's thing, right? Or, or, uh... Oh, I work for a a nonprofit uh, down here in Klamath Falls and we um, help at risk and homeless youth. Oh, wow. That's, yeah, that's amazing. It's called integral youth services. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. How, how is that? That must be pretty, uh, pretty rewarding, pretty challenging. It is. It's, you know, I've been in my, uh, when I haven't been fishing all my career, I've been in nonprofit work. And um, so I, I, it's just where I kind of fit. And uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it has its challenges, funding and everything else. But um, definitely a lot of kids out there that need help. Oh, yeah. So. No, I know. That's good. Well, I appreciate that. That's an awesome stuff, Craig. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, if uh, yeah, we, we mentioned the email and then uh, guidedwatersflyfishing.com uh, if they have questions or want to get a guide trip yeah, for it with great. you down there. And you we'll, bet. Uh, all right. Well, uh, thanks, Craig, for coming on. And, uh, Dave, you know, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, doing what you do. I've had fun. We've, we've, uh, we've yeah, kind of yeah. gone off on some tangents. I, you know, obviously uh, there's a lot of stuff we haven't covered yet. So uh, we'll, we'll keep in touch and maybe get you back on down the line and, and kind of go from there. Sounds good. All right, man. Thank we'll talk you, to you, Dave. All right, see ya. Bye-bye. So, there you go. If you want to find all the show notes, all the links we cover, just go to webflyswing.com slash Craig. That's C-R-A-I-G. Are you interested in heading out on a fishing trip of a lifetime with me and a few of the guests from the podcast? 
there are still a few slots this upcoming uh, summer. Uh, you can check out some info there at wetflyswing.com slash destination. That's D-E-S-T-I nation to find out more on the next big trip. Uh, I want to thank you again for stopping by to check out the show today. I really appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to maybe seeing you online or uh, on the river. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes.